Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell, and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And uh, this is uh, my wife and I's second week back. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we, uh, that was our first Sunday back after about seven weeks gone. We took a little um, sabbatical, which was so needed and helpful and restful for our family. But it is also so great to be back and see some familiar faces. So thanks for coming here. Hey, let's give it up for that worship team. They just disappeared. But thank you, guys. That was incredible. I like worshiping with you guys. This is awesome. You're a great church. And look, every week you come, there's something new that's happening, like all these props behind me that you're about to hear more about. And then get, look, we got doors. We have doors to our sanctuary. <laughs> uh, Heath and Larry installed those this week. That's awesome. My children said, why did we put doors in? I'm like, well, most churches have doors to their sanctuary, but we just hadn't for the last few months. But uh, so it's fun. And so. Anyways, but I'm excited for this morning. We are starting a uh, three-week series this morning that I'm titling Around the Movement. Everybody say Around the Movement. And so what I mean by that is, um, so if you don't know this, our local church here, Northwest Arkansas, is part of a greater movement called the Antioch Movement, which is um, a bunch of churches all over the U.S. There's about 45 in the U.S., and then there's, I don't know, about 100 teams or so overseas in different parts of the world. And we are knit together by the same vision and values and relationships. And we just have a, a just like wealth in resources of leaders and communicators and um, people that have gone before us in their love and faithfulness to Jesus for decades, especially us, a primarily younger church. It's just so amazing to know that we've got people that have been following Jesus longer than us and have history with him and have learned a few things. And uh, so the next three weeks, we're going to be bringing in different communicators and speakers from the Antioch movement. And uh, this morning, you guys get to hear from Jordan Ogden in just a second. He is on, he's actually not just part of Antioch randomly, but he's also on our board of advisors. Uh, it, it's made up of three guys, and he's one of them. And they provide accountability, but they also mainly provide just support and strength to our church body, to me and Beth as well. They come in once a year, just give some feedback and hear how things are going. They pray for us, and they carry us uh, in their hearts. And so you get to hear from someone that believes in what we're doing here and has prayed for you, and he's going to get to share this morning. You guys ready? Let's give it up for Jordan Ogden. Take it away, Jordan. Woo! Have fun, man. Well, guys, so good to be with you. I was with your ADS crew uh, a few months ago and enjoyed that via Zoom. Uh, so much better to be here in person uh, when we came for a board visit, whenever that was, a few months ago. We actually looked at this facility before you were inhabiting it, and it's been an upgrade. So well, well done to everyone that's done that. I want to echo what Mit Mitchell said. So uh, grateful to be able to worship with you. This is my favorite thing is to participate with the people of God. So I do I do like preaching and teaching, but I mainly like participating. So this morning I'm looking forward to continuing to participate uh, with you. Mitchell wants me to say a little bit about who I am and my connection to the movement as we're doing around the movement. So let me do that first by introducing my family. I'm very grateful. Christy and I, my wife is Christy. And we just celebrated 20 years of marriage uh, last month. We live at the beach. That's a joke. I have uh, orange hair and white skin. I don't do great at the beach. Uh, but she loves it. Uh, so we are just at the beach last month. Our kids are 15. That's the guy that has just crested uh, over us in height. That's Jaden. Uh, down to eight, little Larky. Uh, she's our baby. And just what have we been doing with our life? 
we have a phrase, and it's called Hooper's Got a Hoop and Driver's Got a Drive. And so all of our kids like hooping, and, but none of them drive. So Christy and I drive them uh, to, their, to their stuff. So Hooper's Got a Hoop, Driver's Got a Drive. There's a little bit of our crew. Uh, very, very, very grateful part of my own story. If we can bring up, um, Lindsay, what's at stake? These are things that, uh, my own testimony, that I did not have in my life growing up. I had a great upbringing, had everything actually given to me on a platter, uh, but these, these are things that come by the grace of God, by the person of Jesus, and um, these were not things that were present in my life, and as a result, Mitchell, can you hold this one real quick? I want you to look at these phrases. I've got a robe. I've got to put a robe on. Purposely, it's, it's purposely backwards for those who are worried. So because I did not have these things in my life, I grasped. Have you ever done this before? And I was grasping for this guy right here. I was grasping for a sense of who, uh, who I was. This was my hero. So Hooper's got a hoop. I was a hooper, and I figured this is a guy that he, uh, Alan Iverson, Played for Georgetown in college, Sixers, uh, and Nuggets later on. But he was about two years older than I was, and I was a short point guard. And he was a short point guard, but he could dunk over people. And I always dreamed that one day I would be like him. And so I took on a little bit of his own identity, you know. And the problem with doing that is that God has designed us to have our identity connecting to what we're going to describe as our calling and our assignment, these, this is very important to us. Everyone in the room, we're bonded together. We are very concerned about these things, and rightfully so. What I'm wanting to do this morning is to convince you to be just as concerned about those things as you are about this thing right here. And my, my story was these were disconnected. There was a rupture, and there was a, there was a, a misalignment. Because I would take on, it wasn't just Iverson. It was, you know, we, we grasp for identity. And so I lived from a place of whatever I was doing in my seasonal assignment and whatever God's call on my life was, I was trying to do really good at this so that I could get that over there. I didn't have language for this, but now as a 42-year-old, that's 100% what was happening. So let me briefly take you through that and then we'll get into uh, more of the meat of the message. When I was junior and senior in high school, I was discipled by a guy my parents brought a discipleship ministry to uh, our city in Waco. Uh, I told them, as any good adolescent would, I have no interest uh, in this thing that you're doing, and you can invite other people to that. Just good, good humility of heart uh, there uh, to uh, just respecting authority, you know, loving, uh, honoring father and mother. And it ended up changing my life. Uh, the guy that discipled me, he challenged me to get up before school and read the, read the Bible. That had not been something I'd ever done. And I began to be discipled not only by a person living incarnationally, I'm just meaning living vulnerably and incarnating who Jesus was uh, to me, but I also began to be discipled by the Word of God. And so I would read the Bible, and I didn't, I didn't know how to pray, but it would put the fear of the Lord in me because my life was the opposite of what I read in the Bible. And so, you know, he said read the Bible. He did not tell me what to do after that. So I'd read the Bible and be like, oh, no. And so since I didn't know how to pray, I would kneel down, and, and I'm in my, in my bedroom, and I didn't know what to say, so I'd just be like, ugh, you know, like, ugh, like, help, uh, I'm wrong, you must be right, because I was taking the Word of God uh, as my authority rather than me. My whole life, I had been my authority, 
And so there was, a, there was a transformation and a transition happening in my heart. I went to Texas A&M um, University, and my, I had a, had a struggle with loneliness and depression. And I don't know if you can connect with me on that, but that was, a, that was the real deal, man. And so I've got a lot of compassion. If any of you, if that's been part of your story or is your story right now, grace, grace to you. Uh, I left school actually for a semester. I went to Colorado. And God, and God planted the seed of calling in my life for marriage and family uh, with some exposure there. So I had the word of God as a place of calling. I had marriage and family as a place of calling. But at the same time, I still had this insecure identity. So even though I'd left all Iverson behind, I was still grasping for a sense of who I was. In my 20s, uh, Christy and I lived uh, in Dallas. And the Antioch Church had been planted there when we got engaged. So we jumped in, and we jumped into what y'all have already been talking about this morning. We jumped into life group, and that became something that we fell in love with. Uh, We jumped into disciple-making, being discipled and discipling others. And it was really the joy of our life. Um, Right before that happened, I had gone to World Mandate. Has anyone ever been to World Mandate? I was invited to my first one in 2021, so about 20 years ago. And a lady was there called Jackie Pullinger, and she had, uh, if you haven't read her book, I would commend it to you. It's called Chasing the Dragon. It's about heroin use, uh, not hers, but that of others. And uh, she was talking about the power of God for ministering to the poor of the earth. And I was so taken by her story. I don't know if I really knew a poor person in my life, but as I read the word of God, I was like, God seems to really love the poor because everything I read in the Bible suggests that God really loves the poor. I should probably figure this out. So I wrote their, them a letter and said, I have no idea what you're talking about uh, in terms of like the power of God, but I believe it and I would like to come learn. Can I come and wash toilets and scrub floors and be part of your community? So I graduated, I went over and I lived in what they called new boy homes, which were uh, discipleship homes, about 20 guys. And these were guys that had come off the streets. Um, most of them, uh, every vein in their arm was blown out from uh, heroin, overdose, her- heroin use. And they were looking for something better in their life. They would run into people on the streets that had come to know Jesus. And they would invite them into knowing Jesus. And they would come into these homes and we would pray over them and live among them. And man, a sense of calling touched my heart again for the poor, ministering the poor in the power of God for whole life transformation. So we, I came back from that and I looked for a community that was doing what I felt called to do. And that was who, who is serving the poor and who is believing for the power of God for whole life transformation. And it was the Antioch uh, group. They were not the only ones that were doing this. They were the ones that I got connected with. And that's what we did in our 20s in the streets of Dallas. Uh, we worked with the, the homeless, the marginalized, etc. And then in our 30s, we sensed uh, an assignment amidst that calling to take a group from our Antioch church in Dallas and move to Michigan. Uh, very cold, very cold. And so we lived in Ann Arbor, and we worked in Detroit uh, for eight years, 2013 to uh, last year. And again, there was this calling and assignment thing going on. 
we are so grateful to still be connected with our friends. So uh, Christy and I are continuing to try to be encouragers to our pastors and our churches uh, that are in Michigan. We had no idea that uh, what God would do, but as we sang about this morning, that uh, uh, nothing is impossible. We sense the impossibility of God to go and plant, uh, just like you guys that came and planted here, a from scratch church, and God is faithful uh, to his places of calling and assignment. He's faithful to his name. So let me just pause there and say, when God puts uh, a calling or an assignment on your heart, and as we're recovering this place of identity, calling, and assignment together, my, my challenge and encouragement to you is if it is impossible and you're like, I probably can't do that, that might be an indicator that God's calling you to do it because it requires the grace of God in your life. It requires you to take steps of faith outside of comfort zone, outside maybe even of your background, maybe, hold on for this, maybe even your own gift, gift mix to go low in servanthood, to be dependent on the person of God, to do it with the people of God, and then to see the breakthrough of God and the testimony of God come forth. Now, that's very easy for me to sit here and say. It's very easy to be like, oh, you know, rah, 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 go, go, go do it recognize that, yes, there's that kind of passion, faith element, and then there is the, uh, what should we call it, suffering, pain, uh, grit uh, element to it as well, and so that it's, it's both, but God, again, God is faithful uh, to these things. As I'm, as I'm even telling the story this morning, I'm like, I mean, we should have never made it. <laughs> we 100%, so, I mean, on every level, we should have never made it. We had our baby in um, Michigan, Larkin, uh, in 2013, and it, it was what they called the polar vortex, and I hate the cold, and, you know, we had all these little kids, and we're trying to put mittens on them, you know, in their car seat, but they won't fit in their car seat because they've got this huge jacket on, so you're, like, picking them up. The cars don't fit in the garage. We don't know how to scoop snow, and it was, like, two years of just trying to survive, and, you know, again, God was faithful. We were crazy, but he was awesome. Um, we now, we, we now live back in Waco, Texas, where we grew up. We're part of Antioch, Waco. Um, I am working for an investor. Uh, we invest capital, and we invest in people. So my, al although these callings are still true over my life, I have a different seasonal assignment. I'm still as committed uh, to uh, the local church and to the Antioch movement as I ever have been, but it looks different now because I'm not a vocational pastor. I love vocational pastors. I was one for 15 years, and I'm continuing to live out a pastoral calling with a different assignment. Are you following me with that? That is, that is to give grace to you, because I don't know where you are this morning. You may be at a place where, and we're going to, uh, actually, let's go ahead and pull up that chart. You may be at a place where you're trying to discover what your calling in life is. You're in a good place. You may be at a place, like I've just described, where you've got some clarity around this issue, but you're kind of like, I don't know if I like my seasonal assignment. Let me give you some encouragement. God will test this in your life, and this is the whole counsel of Scripture, with seasonal assignments, whether you like them or not. He knows much better as a good father what you need in your life to fully accomplish this, and so he, he's really good at positioning you in places of seasonal assignment. This is going to change in your life. In fact, look up on the screen with me. Your identity, think of that and say this with me. Your identity is the who, so you say who. Your calling is the what, say what. Your assignment is the where, say where. 
your identity, and I want to be clear here, I'm not trying to get off into like sexual identity and a lot of the stuff that's in the cultural conversation. That's very important. That is not the subject this morning, so I want to make a distinction there. Identity, I'm talking primarily about your identity in Christ. That's why I've put this silly backwards jersey on that I'm about to take off to say that we, we, get, we get it backwards when we grasp for an identity that's not our own. We look at, I mean, look in the gospel, and P- Peter, I mean, after he totally fumbled the ball and, uh, you know, denies Jesus, he gets restored, and you're, you're going, okay, restoration has happened, the glory of God has come, now let's put Peter in there, you know, is that Matthew 16, rock of the church, and he's comparing himself to, he's like, but what about John? What's he going to do? And Jesus is like, don't worry about him. <laughs> I think he was saying, don't worry about who he is. And do not worry about what I have called John to do and the assignment that I have given John. You follow me. You can't actually follow Jesus fully how he has called you to do it without giving adequate attention to this thing. I love the scripture because it's honest. You know, it gives us that that information about disciples and following Jesus. It's like, okay, this guy, God was going to build on this guy. And he he himself, Peter, he had an insecure identity. He was still discovering who God had made him to be. So if you're still discovering who God has made you to be, everyone just take a deep breath. You're okay. <laughs> okay? We're all, we're all okay. Let's get rid of this. <laughs> that we all struggle with remembering who we are. It's actually one of the key things about life group. We get to remind one another. You know, the one of the great function of, of who the Holy Spirit is, is he reminds us of the words of Jesus. And the more, I find the more any of us as followers of Jesus get conformed into his image, the more we find ourselves doing the same for other people. Not out, not out of trying to manipulate, not out of trying to get anything from someone, but actually trying to get them a win, <laughs> trying to build them up in the grace of God. So I would, I would encourage you to, to look for opportunities to do that in your life group um, communities. Okay, let me make a main point here as we pivot into the uh, message. Our identity, as we learn to live with a um, secure identity in Christ, it releases authority to live out our calling and assignment. And I've already told you that this is very important to you. We're hoping that that becomes increasingly important to you, but I, I know this is very important to everyone in the room. I know that you want to be fruitful in these places. That's right. You should want to be. In fact, if you don't want to be fruitful in these places, let's, let's deal with that during ministry time today. You want to be fruitful in your places of calling and assignment. And what I, I, I like to use the language of authority. The way that you have authority in the, in the places that God has called you to, remember the what, and the assignments that he has given you, the where, that place that you're living out your calling, you need, you need the authority of God in your life. And I, wa- I want to stir you up to desire, uh, to desire that. Can we bring up the slide of what we all struggle with? Here is a problem that we face. These are, this is from research. These are not things I thought would be cute to put up on a screen. This is from uh, a longitudinal study that looked at both followers of Jesus and people that do not follow Jesus. So I don't know what category you are in today. It doesn't actually matter. Every single person, these are common 
struggles. These are, com- these are common to men and women all over the world. Doesn't matter what culture, followership of Jesus, not followership of Jesus. So you look at it, and there's probably, if you're honest, at least one item on here that's uh, affecting your life right now. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily walking in it. Could be that of a family member, excuse me, or a friend. But most likely, there's at least one, if you're honest, that in the present tense, you're struggling with. Let me tell you how this relates to identity, calling, and assignment. Every way. Pick one. Um, let me pick one from... Uh, okay, I've already told you. Loneliness. So loneliness was a deal for me in college. I am now literally never alone uh, with, uh, with my crew and then with what I'm... And, I'm, and at times, I'm tempted... I hope you're not like this. I'm tempted to complain. So it just, it's, it's, it, I'm, it's awful. It's awful. I'm tempted to complain. I was telling Beth yesterday, you know, I try to shield my wife from all the mom, 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 mom. You know, I come in from work and I, it's like mom, 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 mom. It's mom, 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 mom. And so I'm like, get away from her. You know, I'm, protect her. Get away. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to not be alone. Here, here's the issue. When we feel, let me, let me choose a different one, materialism, that's been a large part of my life. When I feel like a failure or I feel weakness associated with, mater- meaning I give in to materialism and I sin against the Lord, it's very easy for me, and whatever yours is, it's very easy for you to then take on the identity of a failure or oh, I, I am one who fails at X. I am one who has weakness in X, Y, Z, whatever whatever it is. And when we do that with repetition, it reinforces actually who you are not. (laughs) It is one of the easiest places in the world for for the enemy of your soul to get a foothold in your life to produce what the Bible calls vain imagination, and you become a captive. Even though we sing songs about being free, We become a captive in our mind to what I'm going to call a false identity. As a result, we are cut off. We cut, God doesn't do this, but we cut off his grace because we are agreeing with something that is not true about who we are. So just to do a little bit of an assignment here, if my writer, who's my writer this morning? There we go. Thank you for writing. Okay. Thank you, Mara. You're amazing. So here's what Mara is going to do. I have very bad handwriting. And so I am told, so Mara, I put you on the spot here. I'm, ho- I'm told that Mara's handwriting is superior to mine. And so we have chosen her uh, to, be, to, to be our scribe. What we're going to do is just simple practice. And I want to do this because you can go home and you can do this the rest of your life. We're just going to choose a few verses. I chose Hebrews 1 just because I like the chapter. And we're going to read through it. And we're going to write, uh, Mara actually is going to write down truths about who God is. The reason we are doing this is because in his light, we see light. When we get reminded of who God is, that is actually the place where restoration of our own identity is going to happen. By the way, this is going to be the best part of the message. So if you wanted to pick one part to pay attention to, now would be the part. All right, let's bring up Hebrews chapter 1 on the screen. I'm going to bring up Hebrews 1 in my Bible. And I'm just going to read, and I'll probably just interrupt myself um, quite often. Here we go. Long ago, actually, let's do this. Let's do this as a community. Everyone stand. I I love the public reading of Scripture. So instead of me reading it, we are going to read, we're just going to read everything that's on the screen. Ready? One, two, three, go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, unbelievable, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. Give, give yourself a hand. Well done. Good reading. I know it's strange to read with someone that's also reading on the mic. It's all good. Uh, the, oh, the, the standing for the reading of the word. We, don't, we, we need very little else. This is wonderful. Okay, so here we go. Number one, what I see in verse one, Mara, uh, spe- uh, speaks. So we have, we have a speaking God. That's enough for you to go home with right there. That God is not silent, but he is one who speaks. We gloss that. It's like, I know, I know. Like, he doesn't have to speak. He is a speaking, communicating God. Okay, let's go to verse two. He's a father. You say, I don't see the word father. If there's a son, then there's a father. So he is a speaking father. Um, this son, Mara, just you, you, you write what you want to write. This son, so son, son is heir. Son is heir. So we have speaking father. Now he says, and you're like, why the heck does my identity have anything to do with this son of God being an heir of all things? What has everything to do? If he is an heir and you are seated with him, he is, he is actually in you by the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, we got a lot going on there. He also has, according to Ephesians 1, an inheritance in your life. That is one of the most motivating truths that I have ever read. Je- Son of God, and just make sure I'm seeing heir, the heir of all things, has an inheritance in, inheritance in my little life. Oh, I'm just so bad, and my identity is so weak. I don't even know if he has a car. No, 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 no. He has an inheritance in your life. You are going to stand before him. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's actually a place of reward. We're about to see that he's actually really glad. Actually, let, let's read that so we've got it. Uh, go, go to the next part so they don't think I'm, I'm lying. Let's just go to the next part here. Okay, I'll, I'll read. Um, or again, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. These are all quotes from the Psalms that the author of Hebrews is pulling in and quoting from. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let's go to the next one. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, watch this. He says, your throne, O God. So he's, you know, we're we're popping around. So seated on a throne. So we've got throne. Oh, when we talk about the throne, it's it's like, uh, we don't need to go anywhere else. Like he's a son, he's an heir, he's on the throne. I'm getting more peace in my heart just reading the Bible. Because if he is seated on a throne, he's not anxiously pacing in heaven. Oh, no, I wonder what's going to happen with the church. I wonder if darkness is going to overcome all things. He's seated on a throne of grace from a place of victory, from a place of triumph. The reason he is seated is because he, he accomplished salvation. He accomplished purification of sins at the cross. He was buried. By the way, the Bible says that you were buried with him. 
He was in raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you were raised with him. He also appeared to many over the course of about 40 days. He then ascended on high, and he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Make sure we say that he has, okay, we've got both. He's seated, and he's seated on a throne. He is ruling. Let's, let's keep going because it, this is really good. You've loved righteousness, hated wickedness. He has a scepter in his hand. Look at this. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gloom. I saw GL. I thought maybe it meant gloom, like sadness, like he was dour. Many Western believers believe that God is one of three things. Number one, mad. Number two, sad. And number three, disappointed. The oil of gladness, beyond your companions. Another version, the oil of joy, beyond your peers. Beyond? Greater than. <laughs> Think of the most, like for me, the most joyful, glad person is my wife. It is unbelievable being married to a really joyful, really glad person whose number one strength finder is positivity. It's like I wake up in the morning and maybe I'm kind of off, and then I look over at her. I'm like, I don't even know why you're glad and joyful, but I'm so glad you are. Give me some of that. <laughs> She's the most glad, joyful person I know. Jesus far outstrips my wife in terms of joy and gladness. Let's just do a little more because I'm getting happier as we read it. Maybe, maybe, maybe just uh, one more. You, and you, Lord, have laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens, the work of your hands. I mean, good grief. We could just go, we could go on and on. Okay, so let, let's pop, pop back up to that first one because we can't miss, we can't miss this. Okay, let's also do, let's say, verse 2, let's say agent of creation. Remember, we're going to connect this to identity. Agent of creation. I mean, if you need to get glad in God, here, here's something you can do. You take your, do, do this. Do this right here. Just put your finger up. So if you have a device, all you have to have is a finger. And all you have to do is you push the deal, and it gives you the option to copy. And then, you, and you know, it's that little box. And so you push copy. And then you can pull up your favorite deal. Microsoft Word is not working great for me, so I might go Google Docs. I push create new Google Doc. And I might title it something like ways to get happy. And I push create. And then again, you go back to your finger. <laughs> I'm being stupid, but I'm just having fun. So you, then, you, then you push the deal, and it pops up in verse 3. And you're, you know, you're, you're thinking, well, maybe God's mad at me, or he's disappointed. You know, because, well, you know, there are those things that we put up that we all struggle with. And then, but you, then you're scrolling through, you're like, I need to get happy, I need to get happy. It's like, ways to get happy. And you open up the dock, and you look at it, and you read, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and you're happy. Because for all time, people have been wondering, what is God like? Like, if there is a God, what is that God like? And it is not a mystery. You look at the gospel, when you have seen me, Jesus speaking, you have seen the Father. John chapter 1. No one has ever seen the Father, but the Son who comes from the Father, he has, the Greek, exegeted him, means he has explained him. If I want to know, you know this, but if you want, I want to know what the invisible God is, then I look at Colossians 1, and I see, oh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then you might say, but how much of the image is, do, does he possess? Well, it just said he's the exact imprint of his nature, no variance, no shadow of turning. When I see him, 
boom, I see what God is like. So if he's anointed with the oil of gladness and the oil of joy, it's not like in the Trinity, you know, the Father, the Father is looking at this joyful, glad Jesus who's overcome death in the grave and holds the keys to death and hell and is looking at him who has satisfied the wrath of God. That's the word propitiation. He, behold, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm so bummed in life. Like God the Father is not thinking that. When he's looking at his son, he is so pleased. He himself is, did you know you were created out of the overflow of love, joy, and all good things from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? You issued forth from that place. Let us make man, Genesis 1, in our image. You have the capacity. You are not God, but you have the capacity because of the way God has designed you to have an identity that is formed on the truths that Mara is writing down for us. So let's just uh, give it up for Mara. I'm, I'm, I don't want to make you uh, be in pain any longer. Thank you very much. So let's just do this. Now, get rid of this guy. Instead of our stuff that we put on to define ourselves falsely, if we, I mean, we took like a handful of verses. I could think, I think I could preach a series on the fact that the Son of God is seated at the right hand of favor. <laughs> the, right, the right hand is a place of privilege, honor, uh, and, and favor. These things are true of who God is in terms of his identity. If I will allow my identity to be informed in my spiritual formation to come from the truth of what he has revealed, not the weird stuff that I think that God is like, some authority figure that I didn't like, and so therefore I'm kind of staying at a distance from him. Here's, here, here's what's at stake. If I'll do this in my life, then slowly, not automatically, but slowly, over time, what we're going to see is a reconnection to how God originally designed us to live, which is a flow from the throne of grace to the person that's made in the image of God that is being restored e even as we speak like there, there's an opportunity to have our mind renewed by the truth of the word of God today based off of who he says we are here's how you do it oh man so much going on I look and I see oh number five he's seated on the throne okay he's on the throne there's grace there Hebrews 4 says and then Jesus has joy when he is looking at me. He's not mad, sad, and disappointed. The Father is looking at me through the lens of the Son. I am seated in him. John 15 says he loves me, Jesus. Jesus says in the same way, here's a blow away, around verse 8, in the same way the Father loves me, so have I loved you. That is, an, that's, that is crazy, but it is true, and if you will meditate on that thing, just think deeply on that thing. Let those, the truth of what God has said be more of a ruling factor and a predominant voice in your life, then this thing's going to get sturdier and sturdier and more secure and more secure, and you're not going to care about Iverson or anybody else that you would backwards put on uh, your life, and you're going to have a right alignment, a right order, and you're going to start seeing authority come on your life in the places of your calling and your assignment. That's really good news. Let me close by saying this. <clears throat> Remember when a preacher who isn't currently as a vocational preacher says, let me close by saying this. That could mean like we're about to close. That could mean, oh, he might not be closing. So let the reader understand. <coughs> okay, very good. Let me tell you five 
tests that I see God using. Five tests in terms of our assignment. Uh, five seasonal, <laughs> let me just read it. Five tests God uses in our seasonal assignment. There it is. Five tests. So your calling, as I told you before, your calling will be tested. The what? It's going to be tested with seasonal assignments. What you're doing right now, if we go back to that chart, this thing is probably going to change many times in your life. This might change some, and I would actually love for you over time to develop a statement. Let me tell you, if my wife was here, I'd put her on the spot, as I've done countless times, to say, okay, tell, us, tell them what our, what our calling is. And the way that we discern it right now, she would say this. Um, we use the language of mission. Our mission is to encourage, strengthen, and heal marriages and families and generations through the gifts of mercy, wisdom, and hospitality. I have great clarity in my spirit that God has called us to do that. The way that it's carried out looks very different when we were in Dallas, when we were in Michigan, and now that we're in Waco or wherever we find ourselves. But there's a consistency to what God has called us to do. And because of his goodness, and Mitchell and I were talking about this yesterday uh, in that great place called Chick-fil-A, that because he is a good father, he really knows, like Mitchell's a great father, um, but he's, he, he's, the reason he's a great father is he's taking his lead from God the Father. So God the Father is very jealous, and I mean that in the biblical right sense, that you, you step into the fullness of what he has planned for your life, which is you understanding who you are and this whole thing flowing uh, rightly. And here, here's what happened at Chick-fil-A. Um, Mitchell's, Mitchell's kids uh, wanted ice cream. I don't know why a kid would want ice cream, but they supposedly wanted ice cream. And so Mitchell said, that's great. You can take up the, you know, the book or whatever it was, you know, the, the great exchange that happens. You can take it up there and, um, you know, if you, want, if you want it that bad. And so they, they went up there. They came back with the books and not with the ice cream. And so, you know, I, I was interested, you know, as an older father, just to see, okay, let's see, let's see how he plays this. And I, and I loved it. He, he, stay, he stayed strong. Why? Because he's, tr- he's not, even though, you know, there was, you know, when you're end of the day and things are going on, you know, you're, you're just wanting to get home. I understand this. But the trump was Mitchell actually wanted his sons to mature and develop as people in their identity related to their calling and assignment. Mitchell wasn't thinking about this, by the way, when this was happening. But as I watched it, I was like, oh, I'm watching this play out before my eyes. He's a good father. He wants his sons to be equipped, but he's using a simple little seasonal assignment in their life, which was go stand by the deal and ask for ice cream. And they came back without ice cream. And so they did a feedback loop. Why didn't you get ice cream? And I can't remember what the reason was, but they, they, they didn't get ice cream. Here, here's the analogy. God the Father is good. He, put, he gives us seasonal assignments, I think, to put confidence in our inner man for our calling. So if we rebuff him and we say, I don't like this assignment. I don't like, I don't like this job. This is a stupid job. I don't like this relationship. This is a stupid relationship. This is dumb. I'm being silly on purpose. Then at, at, at times what happens is we cut off what God is actually wanting to do in our life. Like, he sees where he's wanting to take you in terms of fullness. We, he plants things in your life in seed form. Say seed form. He doesn't plant things in your life in full form. He plants things in seed form. And the basic kingdom principle is, what, who is you're, if you're faithful in something small, seasonal assignment, 
That's the way that you get something more. We get deceived in our influencer culture or whatever you call it that, you know, get rich now or go big now, you know, go big, go whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. That's just if that happens, praise God. But that is in the vast minority of human experience. <laughs> vast minority. 99.99999 experience is faithful in the little. Disciple one person. I want to lead. Bleh. Disciple one person. God's got more for me than that. Praise the Lord. Disciple one person. I'm an intercessor. Let's do the all-night prayer meeting. I love the all-night prayer meeting. I'm, I'm, I'm an intercessor myself. I want you to consistently pray five minutes. Pray five minutes a day. No. I want to be, well, they didn't ask me to stand on the stage. I didn't get the mic because, whoa, you know, having the mic. That's really where it's at. No, it's not. People that have, people that are entrusted to be in front of people are generally people that don't care that they're in front of people. Yes. And they're pe- and the tests of the assignment, they're also people that have done things in the secret place. They have done things in the small place. They have done things out of the sight of man because they're not trying to get the reward of man. I guess that was just for me. <laughs> it was just, you know, sometimes as a preacher, you just, you just kind of sit it and it, you send it around the table to, whoosh, you know, come right back at you. Certainly it's true for me, <laughs> okay? Let's, 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 let's now get very, uh, since I am working in investments and I work in Excel spreadsheets now, we're going to get very systematic as we close. As we close. Five. T- <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I'm having, having such a blast here. Okay, five tests God uses. Number one, the test of smallness. Test of smallness. These are all, I'm going to, we could use any Bible character. Let's just use Life of David. Test of smallness. He, he takes care of sheep. Not popular. People come, where's David? And, you know, I don't know, he's, he's with the sheep. But during the sheep watching, Oops, here comes the bear. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, we were in Tahoe. When we moved to Michigan, we went on a vacation, and my brother-in-law, he did this thing called the bear scare. Um, they, they had, you know, don't leave your food out. Here comes the bear. And so he recorded on YouTube um, uh, a real bear growl, and we were all sitting around the fire at night. We'd gotten all the little kitties down. We were just wanting to, to chill out, and then he got a very lar- large amplifier. He plugged in a little recording. And it sounded like, <laughs> and I wish I would say, and I went and I got my wife and I picked her up and we ran into the woods. I got out of there, man. <laughs> we, 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 we bolted. So, you know, we read the thing in First Samuel and it's like, here came the bear. And I'm going, have you ever heard a bear? <laughs> it's terrifying. David said, I think to Saul, he's like, when the bear came, I took down the bear. You're like, oh my. What? No one was around. No one would have cared. All you do is go back and be like, a bear came. And be like, I get it. <laughs> you know, when the bear comes. You, you, but no, he cared about the small. He cared about the sheep. Here came the lion. I mean, <laughs> not much better. He's like, bear, lion. Ah. And he, you know, golly, took down the lion because he cared about the sheep. That's why God's like, this guy's a like heart after mine because he cares about stuff even when other people aren't looking. And so he said, I did the bear. I disposed of the lion, and that, and that seasonal assignment has prepared me ultimately for my calling as a king, but I'm not there yet. I think my next assignment, because everyone I see here is just afraid, I'll take down the giant. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, I've, my seasonal assignment has prepared me for this. Give me, give me the giant. 
Okay, test number two, the testimony of man. Remember what David's brother says to him? What are you doing here? And David, his dad asked him to take food to the brothers that were on the front line. He takes the food down. He says, what's going on here? The brother, the testimony of man, was not the testimony of God. An insecure identity could have lodged into David's heart and could have ambushed and hijacked his ultimate calling. His brother lied and said, you just... You're just wanting to be seen, summarizing the Bible, 1 Samuel 16, 17, right in there. He's like, you know, you're, and he's like, where are those few sheep that you're, that you're watching? So it's actually true. He did have few sheep, but he was emphasizing the smallness. The brother was emphasizing the smallness. He was not seeing David as God saw him. He was seeing as man saw him. That's what I mean by a testimony of man. You want a good prayer? Here's a good prayer. God, let's pray this with me. God, help me see how you see. Help me feel how you feel. Amen. God is actually super faithful to answer five-second prayers. And you can say, God, help me see myself how you see me. Help me feel about myself how you feel about me, meaning heal me. (laughs) Help me feel about my friends. Help me see them. Help me see your church. Help me see all of reality from your perspective, not according to my limited understanding. David did this, I believe. His brother did not. David chose to see things how God saw them. So when he sees the giant, everyone else is like, ah, you know, and I think I would have been in there. It's like, it's a big guy, you know, really big, probably really loud. And he's like, I'm taking this sucker down because he is, uh, he's not hallowing God's name. And so we're cutting his head off uh, today. Really radical scene. Okay, so he, so number two test that you, in your own life, what's the testimony of man that's going on in your life? What are people saying about who you are or about the what and the where that you are doing things? And are you allowing God's truth to inform your life? Or are you allowing the testimony of man to be the predominant informer? Test number three, you've already alluded to it, the test of hiddenness in the wilderness. Um, Test number four, the test of timing. Man's, man's timing, is, Jesus says it this way, you know, they wanted to make Jesus king. He's like, your time's always opportune. Oh, it's so painful. You know, I know what's in a man. Your time is, all, you know, well, David, same thing. Saul is using the restroom in the cave, just really strange uh, scene. And, his, and David's buddy is like, the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Take him out. And not once but twice, David says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm like, David. You could, like, totally enter into your calling, and no one else would know. But he lived before the eyes of the Lord. He's like, well, the Lord would know. He's like, I will not. They're like, he's a murderous king, demonized guy. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. So he entrusted years of his life to being chased in the wilderness by a a demonized, uh, angry king that was jealous of David. Um, He trusted the Lord. Last one, the test of death, and the band can come up now. The way that I want to pivot us into uh, t- to ministry time is in this way, the test of death. First Samuel 30, David's at a place called Ziklag. Did you write down Ziklag? They wanted to stone David to death because all the women and children and goods had been stolen by the Philistines. Before we get the phrase that David strengthened himself in the Lord, I think there was something going on in this realm. I think before he needed Jonathan, because the scripture says that Jonathan in past times, he came and he strengthened David. At this time, David strengthened himself in the Lord. I think he renewed who God was, who he was in light of that, and then what God 
had or had not called and assigned to him. And he sought the Lord from that place and he said, should I, should I pursue? And the, the response from the Lord was pursue and overtake. So they went from wanting, he was dead. They were going to stone him dead to a place of, I'm going to call resurrection, to a place of victory. It said, I mean, this is a blow away. David recovered all. And what I'm believing actually this year and that this is a season, so I would invite you into this. God is restoring in a Ziklag way. If you've lost something this morning and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you've, you've lost something in this area of identity. I want us together to believe that God would continue or begin a restoration process where you also one day would stand up in front of others and say, and I recovered all by the grace of God. Perhaps you have run away from this like Jonah. Remember that? You're like, go this way. It's like, I'm out of here. He ran from his calling. That's common to man. All of us do this. Restoration in terms of what you are doing right now and where you are doing it. Let's stand. If you're a life group leader or you're someone that wants to pray for people or that y'all, that normally prays for, for, for Mitchell's like, uh, buddy, <clears throat> if you're normally pray for people, if you can come forward to do so. So th- that's our call this morning. Hey, Mitchell, leave those up so they can see them over there on the side. You can, pu- you can push them off to the side. So if you're wondering during response time, ah, you know, what do I do? Look over at these words and allow the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance things that he may be calling you to respond to. God, we, we thank you. Well, we thank you for your wonderful identity. We look, we look up to you, Jesus, seated on the throne of grace, anointed. Just, just consider it, the, on the oil of gladness. He is a glad God. Thank you, O oh God, that you have overcome death and the grave. Thank you that you have seated us with you. We just take a collective moment here to receive that together. Now, Holy Spirit, would you be free to, uh, do, to continue or initiate a recovery process in the places of identity, calling, and assignment in Jesus' name?